0: What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 313, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Thursday, September 10th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347 324 3541. Again, 347 324 3541. If this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, Gaming and entertainment. We air live every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for our MMA and wrestling show, and Thursday nights, that being today, is our gaming and entertainment edition of the show. As always, if you want to participate, you can go to MTRLive.com or RageWorks.net/slash live and listen to the live show via Mixler or watch the video feed and, of course, participate in our show chat as well. Archived episodes of the show if you can't tune in are available on iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn Radio for the audio versions. Video versions of course are available on our two YouTube channels, uh, My Take Radio TV and Official RageWorks. So feel free to look up either one of those on YouTube if you haven't subscribed and you'll be able to get access to our video episodes within 24 to 48 hours. Same thing with our audio episodes. If you have the official My Take Radio app, you can get the episodes in 96K stereo, usually within 24 to 48 hours. Plus, you get access to other exclusive content as well. If you want to get the app, you can find it on iTunes for iOS devices, of course, in the Amazon Android Marketplace for Android devices. And last but not least, in the Microsoft Store for Windows devices, both on the desktop and via mobile. All right, so... Last week, of course, we were on hiatus, so a lot of stuff went down. We touched some of the things that happened during our wrestling edition, but for those of you that tune in for our gaming and entertainment edition only, just a couple of things I wanted to recap. We are uh, testing out some new hardware and um, a couple of other new settings and little bells and whistles that we're trying behind the scenes. Uh, Last night's episode ran... Rather smoothly, with the exception of an issue with the program that we use to edit the show, which almost derailed the possibility of a show happening this evening, because for the first time, I got a blue screen of death on Windows 10. As I mentioned a couple of weeks back, I updated all the equipment here to Windows 10, and because of that, obviously, some things break, some things don't, but the program that we used to edit, which is Sony Vegas, decided... To not run yesterday. So I figured let me restore it to a point before the Windows update that was installed yesterday occurred. And um, when I did that screen, I got the sad face blue screen of death from, you know, Windows 10. And pretty much my heart sank because I said, holy shit, I botched everything. And now there's not going to be a show. Can't do any of the editing. Can't do nothing. So... Lots of stuff definitely happened between the hours of 2.30 in the morning and 5 o'clock this morning with me trying to get everything up and running. Uh, Managed to get the PC running. Still can't fix Sony Vegas. So if any of you guys are using Sony Vegas or Movie Studio Platinum, drop me a line. Let me know if you're having the same problems on Windows 10 because it is a huge, huge pain in the ass. Um, Because of it, I had to actually learn... Which I guess isn't terrible. Had to start teaching myself Adobe Premiere and um, actually use PowerDirector12 for our video episode from last night, which you guys are going to check out on YouTube probably after we're done with tonight's episode, and I'll find out if the video looks like shit or not. If it does, I apologize in advance. So, uh, yeah, that was one of the more eventful evenings for the show. Nonetheless, a couple of other housekeeping matters to get out of the way. We have two contests going on right now. Our first is our Guardians of the Galaxy contest. You know I want to give you guys the Marvel Legends Guardians of the Galaxy box set from Entertainment Earth. I'd pull it up, but every time I I put it on camera, I never get a full shot of the box, so I'm not going to do that. You guys can get details for that contest on RageWorks.net. We're also holding a contest to give one lucky listener, viewer, or reader a either a Vampire Diary Season 6 Blu-ray box set or an Originals Season 2 Blu-ray box set. You can get those details on RageWorks.net as well. Just head to the contest tab and you'll be able to see both contests. For the Guardians of the Galaxy contest, you've got four ways to enter, either via the comment section on the site, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Of course, if you enter through each of them, it increases your chances of winning. We've got a few entries thus far, but considering that we're giving away an item that's worth you know, well over 100 bucks, definitely want to get a bigger turnout. So if you guys know or are into collecting action figures or just want to have something cool that's Guardians of the Galaxy related, by all means, make sure to share our contest and uh, enter if you haven't already. We are going to run it until 11.59 p.m. on September 23rd, and then we are going to announce the winner on the September 24th edition of MTR. So again, four chances to win. Make sure you enter if you haven't, and uh, we'll try and get you guys situated. If you have any questions, by all means, feel free to hit us up via social media or drop me a line via email, but the instructions are pretty damn simple. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, both contests are in action. The Vampire Diaries contest, I believe... We're going to run it till the middle of the month. And like I said, the Guardians contest is going towards the end of the month. I have two other contests I want to launch, but I want to clear out these two first. Uh, we're definitely going to give out some really cool toys and maybe a game or two. We'll see what happens. So keep it locked to Rageworks and MTR for those details. All right, so what do we got on deck for tonight? A couple of things. First off, we got the MPD numbers for the month of August. We're going to find out what was the number one selling game for the month of August. We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the Pokemon Go announcement, which everyone has been talking about. I'm sure our very own Slick will have uh, some interesting commentary to add on that. And of course, all the other gaming news of the week. Entertainment wise, we're going to get into some of our you know usual entertainment news. We got some Marvel stuff. Of course, everybody's talking about the Jessica Jones teaser that dropped today, which... I don't see what the fucking big deal was, but I'm gonna get into that. We are gonna talk a little bit about some DC movie news. I want to get into what's going on with a potential new uh, entrant into the casting, the Captain Marvel casting rumors. Which I think, uh, I think the person that they're looking at is definitely promising. But again, I definitely want to address that. Uh, for those of you that are listening, just let me know if you guys hear the AC in the background. I know that we made some adjustments to our noise gate, but I um, want to make sure there's no audio bleed from the AC or the fan. It looks like everything's smooth, but yesterday when I was doing the show, I kind of heard the AC in my headphones. So if you guys happen to hear that, let me know just because everybody's listening through headphones, mobile devices, etc. Anyway, with that said, Let's not beat this up any further, and let's jump into the gaming news of the week. Thanks, guys. Let's get to it. All right, so first thing I want to announce is for those of you that are looking forward to WWE 2K16, I know a lot of you guys are asking me about when are we getting more information about Create A Wrestler, when are we getting more information about the play mechanics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, I got to be honest with you guys. I give you guys what 2K gives me, so I don't have an inside track at the moment. But, of course, if I hear something that's newsworthy, you know I'm going to share it with you guys. Thus far, we've been getting a lot of roster updates. Every week we get our, our 2K email of roster updates, and they, they are touting this game as having... The largest roster for a WWE 2K for a WWE game, not a 2K game because it's only the second. Uh, nonetheless, they released a brand new announcement this week, and there were I want to call this the Attitude Era announcement only because the majority of the guys that were announced were really really prevalent during the Attitude Era. There were a lot of really great stables, factions, and incredible superstars during that time. But in addition to that. They also threw in a couple of modern-era wrestlers as well. But I want to let you guys know who the new additions are in case you guys missed the post on RageWorks.net. So, of course, Billy Gunn, Bret Hart, the British Bulldog, Cactus Jack, Christian, Damian Sandow, which I was starting to get concerned that they hadn't announced Damian Sandow for the game, Dude Love, D'Lo Brown, Farouk, Haku, the Honky Tonk Man, Jake the Snake, which is awesome. Uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Kama Mustafa, a.k.a. the the Perfect Fighting Machine or the Supreme Fighting Machine, a.k.a. the Godfather, and also uh, Ken Shamrock, Mankind, Paul White, a.k.a. the Big Show, Rikishi, Shane McMahon, Shawn Michaels, Vader, which is fucking great, Uh, Vince McMahon, and X-Pac. Now, I have, I have some issues here that I want to I wanna address. And the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that you are touting this game as having the largest roster. But you're also double-dipping and, and triple-dipping depending on who's involved. Like Mick Foley. We all know Mick Foley comes in three different flavors. Uh, Dude Love, Cactus Jack, and Mankind. If you guys are familiar with WWE No Mercy you were able to essentially create those superstars on one slot and then pick and choose which one you were going to use in that particular match. I remember, you know, when you created Chris Jericho, you'd have Lionheart Chris Jericho, regular Chris Jericho. You would have him with the short hair. Whatever the case may be, you'd make the adjustments and you would have that as one slot. Now, my issue with this is the fact that you're – essentially telling people they're getting whatever 120 superstars or whatever the case may be but there are quite a few of them that are the same guy like you telling me that you're giving us paul white is the same as telling everybody that they're getting the big show i'm serious like you could just as easily pick the big show press i don't know left bumper or right bumper or l1 or r1 and have the Big Show, Paul White, NWO Big Show, whatever the case may be. Or if you pick Mick Foley, you would get Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, Mankind. Like, it's, it's really that simple. The same could be said if you wanted to have superstars with different attire. If you wanted to have Christian when he was part of the Edge and Christian tag team. And then you wanted to have Captain Charisma, regular Christian. You could do that and just have that relegated to one slot. I feel that by sending out the roster updates every week, I'm seeing that occur more and more. For instance, like I said, they announced Farouk. Now, Farouk obviously was a member of the Nation of Domination, also a member of the APA, and he should be one slot. There shouldn't be Nation of Domination Farouk and APA Farouk in the same slot. And that's the thing that, like I said, You're telling everybody it's 120 superstars, but what I want to know, and I'm going to wait till all the superstars are announced, is how many superstars are duplicate. Also, props to Slick for Gangrel Brood Christian. But it's true. It's really like 80 superstars, like Slick just said in the chat. It feels like it's at least maybe 80 because a lot of them are redundant. But we'll see what happens when the full announcement is made. I was actually happy to see Vader in there, Uh, you know, growing up, watching wrestling in the late 80s, early 90s. Vader was probably one of the best big guys that was wrestling at the time. He had a really cool helmet when he would enter, when he was in WCW. Then he came to WWE, WWF at the time, for those of you not familiar with that terminology. And um, he was, you know, Vader, Vader was a monster. So it's definitely cool to see him in there. Jake the Snake as well, just because, you know, you grew up watching those guys. Jake the Snake is a guy who I, I'm sure a lot of people will be using. I mean, he had one of the best DDTs in the business. And it, it's. I, I'm hoping that they actually make it that after you defeat your opponent, you can, you know, take Damien out of the bag, the snake, and throw it on your defeated opponent. I think it's a little thing like that that would really put it over the top. It's like I said for the game last year. Where when the Wyatt family would win, you know, Bray Wyatt would say follow the buzzards and you'd actually hear it. So again, a lot of good a lot of good announcements. Um really looking forward to that. PETA will not jump all over that, dude. There's no animal cruelty, and it's a fake fucking snake. <laughs> Absolutely not. I disagree a hundred and ten percent. Not happening. Anyway. Aside from that, like I said, the game, the gameplay looks really good. If you guys saw the trailer on Rageworks, they actually released the entrance video for Dude Love, which, again, not not a big Dude Love fan. I don't give a shit about it, but the attention to detail was really good. Uh, Brock Lesnar's entrance, which I shared in our in our post from last week, actually had really, really good graphics for, for Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman coming out. And all the mannerisms, all the movement, the walking, everything was picture perfect. It felt like you were really watching an episode of Raw with Paul Heyman coming out with Brock Lesnar. So definitely props for to 2K for really taking the time to get a lot of those little subtle things worked out. Again, we'll see how much work went into it because you can have the most beautiful game ever. And if it plays like shit, people are going to definitely let you know about it. Anyway. Moving on, the other news item that our very own Slick shared on RageWorks.net was the brand new um, expansion for The Witcher Three, which is going to be launching October thirteenth. That's the uh, Hearts of Stone DLC. It has ten hours of gameplay, introduces new characters, new monsters—you know the deal. Um, in addition, you're also going to brand—you're going to get a brand new system of Rune Words, which is going to affect the gameplay tremendously. If you are a Witcher fan, definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, Slick has gone to great lengths to ensure that you guys get the most most up-to-date coverage for The Witcher. And the expansion is definitely something a lot of people have been looking forward to. Keep it locked to Rageworks.net for more updates. October 13th is the date if you are looking forward to dusting off that copy of The Witcher and playing a little bit more. All right, so... The big news this week, everybody losing their minds about Pokemon Go. And um, I want to get into that. Pokemon Go, of course, being announced for mobile devices. uh, Available for free download from the App Store and for Google Play in 2016. And what you're going to be doing is you're going to be using your phone to trade, battle, and catch Pokemon in the real world. Meaning, you know, you're walking to the train station, you point your phone at a bush and boom there might be a pokemon there that you can catch or maybe you're outside of your house you're in the backyard and boom you'll be able to grab a pokemon there of course you know this is borrowing from you know like Danny just said from ingress but in addition to that the um the best part is that you'll be able to play pokemon on a larger scale i mean we are in an era where mobile devices are pretty much the gnome, and um. Slick said, well, yeah, you know what, I thought of that too, uh, the Google Maps Pokemon game, I remember that, I forgot, I totally forgot about that Slick since you brought it up, Danny brought up Ingress, which jumped out, because I remember that they were using Ingress to, to demo, did they use Ingress to demo one of the new phones, Danny, when Ingress was announced, can can you, do you remember if if that was what it was for, because I, I I remember that game being shown as a tech demo for for some device, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But in any case, I think that the concept is cool. Once again, it's showing Nintendo thinking outside of the box, embracing the mobile ecosystem and the ability to reach a a higher audience. I think it was a cool, uh, definitely a cool announcement and. Social media definitely lit up like, like fireworks everywhere because everybody was talking about it. Everybody on, on Facebook and Twitter and even Instagram, people were sharing little things. And I, like I said, I found it to be a very, very cool concept, and it showed that Nintendo is starting to to you know open up and expand its horizon a little bit. And while we're on the subject of mobile devices, I did want to talk about Apple's announcement and... Um, you know, I think that the Nintendo announcement for Pokemon Go was very cool, but the Apple announcement also affects gaming by and large. And people a lot of people were talking about obviously the new iPhones and all the improvements and I say improvements in quotes, not because I'm anti Apple or I'm an or I'm an Android fanboy, but I, I wanna address this. In a, in, a, in a larger scale. When you watch an Apple announcement, and I ended up watching it later on in the day because, you know, real work gets in the way some days, the The thing that got me about that announcement was the fact that people were really, really excited about shit that you really... Not that you shouldn't be excited about it, but it was stuff that's already out there and exists in other technology, whether it be Android or Roku or Amazon Fire, whatever the case may be, there some of the technology is already out there in some shape or form. And people are acting like it's revolutionary, game-changing, life-altering. But, you know, just because you're gift-wrapping it in a white Apple backdrop doesn't necessarily mean that it's the newest thing. And, again, this isn't me firing a salvo at Apple, because... I've, I've, you know, I have a, a dual system, actually a triple system home, you know, with my wife uses iOS devices, both, app, you know, iPhones and iPads. She had a MacBook. Um, I ran the show for a little bit using a Mac mini. Uh, again, I, I understand Apple's place in the tech ecosphere. And I'm going I'm going to break this down in a couple of different bite-sized pieces. A lot of people like Apple because of the mantra that it just works. And because it's an easy to, to, to stomach interface that works well and offers people all the accessibility possible without a steep learning curve. And I really want to say that iOS is essentially idiot proof. And because of that, they really make it seem like it's this most revolutionary thing and it's really just a very very tight knit well integrated marriage between hardware and software it, it, the the problem that people have with android and slick is a, is a is a perfect person to attest to this is that android's fragmentation really hurts the overall you know the overall development of it as a platform And the reason I say this is because you got people that are running a new version of Android on their phones, a one-year version of Android on their phones, a two-year version, a three-year version, whatever the case may be. And mind you, these are all devices that have come out within the last two years. And one of the reasons that is, is number one, obviously, carriers are a big factor. Number two, you know, developers are a big factor. It's true. It's not Android's fault. That's what I'm saying. Carriers... Um, the the companies that put out the devices, they they're they're giant giant hurdles for everybody to run on a unified platform. And one of the reasons that is is just because it's it's a byproduct of Android not being married to one device. You know ex- exactly what Slick just said. Companies need to add their shitty bloatware, and what ends up happening is it ruins the Android experience for a lot of people. And because of that. More people appreciate Apple because they feel that the simplicity and the ease of of use is is an attractive selling point. And not too many people adjust, you know, not too many people acknowledge that. If you talk to somebody that's a hardcore Apple fanboy, they're going to say, "Hey, it just works." Or, "Hey, it's just well-built technology that doesn't doesn't fall into the same trap as other technology." And I beg to differ, and I'll tell you why. The iPhone 6 is one year old, give or take, a year and a, maybe a year and a couple of months. Now we have the iPhone 6S. Yes, there have been tremendous improvements, tremendous improvements. Uh, you know, sturdier construction with better materials, uh, better camera, uh, you know, uh, touch sensitive navigation, etc. It's great. But here's the real question why bother releasing the 6? when the 6s was going to be out a year later i would have rathered a 5 or a 5s still be current and the 6s be the next generation of that phone it would be the first six device and again a lot of people say well the s is the stopgap." that's what i like to call it you know the s is the is the placeholder before the major updates and i understand why people do that and I understand that people try to sell that, but for me personally, I just feel that there's no there there's no upside for S models. I mean, th- let me rephrase that. There's an upside for the six S now because the six S has better construction, has you know a, a more powerful processor, a better camera, etc. And I think that the six S was put out as a you know just to compete. With the recent announcement that Samsung did with the with the six edge, with the S six edge, the bigger device, and the Galaxy Note 5. And again, I own the Galaxy Note 5. It's it's a good phone. Is it the greatest phone? Is it the most amazing phone? It has obviously a lot of stuff that the Note 4 had, but it also has its fair share of improvements that for me as a power user made it worth picking up. But as I've said on numerous shows, everybody jumps out of their skin for the latest and greatest Apple device, and they they barely use a fraction of what that phone does. I want to know how many people are genuinely editing video in iMovie Mobile. I'd love to know. I want to know how many people are out there working on PowerPoint or Excel or PDFs on their phone right now. I want to know, because as far as I know, the bulk of iPhone users are taking really good photos, messaging, and using the occasional apps, and the majority of them are games. I really want to know, and I'm working on a feature that we're going to be launching on Rageworks, what people are using their iPhones for. You know, it's 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 like what Danny said. They're the same folks taking videos and photos with their iPads. But here's the thing. The iPad, the iPad Pro, if you were using that to edit video and do stuff and maybe a work in Photoshop or draw, I can understand that because that device has that application. It's a sellable it's a sellable application. When they show all these demos for iPhones at these events, you see all this cool stuff and as I see it, I go, wow, that's awesome. Nobody's going to use that. Nobody gives a shit about that. Nobody. It's like, is the camera good? Because that's really what anybody cares about. I'm serious. The only people that care about processing specs and, you know, touch-sensitive navigation are the nerds, are us. You know, the really tech-savvy, um, you know, bleeding-edge individuals that care about that stuff in their day-to-day lives. Otherwise... You give that phone to your mom, your grandmother, your dad, your father-in-law, your you know any older adult, and the only question they they the only thing they care about is, can I send you a text message? Can I answer the phone? And maybe Facebook because I'm noticing more and more older people are using Facebook. But everything else, donut. I'm serious. Now, I'm not gonna drag out the gaming segment just to talk about Apple's, you know, smoke and mirrors. I'm actually going to get into what LinkedIn. That's a good one, Danny. Thank you. LinkedIn is a good one. I uh, I want to talk about first the announcement that they had for the Apple TV and what they plan on doing with the with their set-top box going forward. Now, as many of you know, the Apple TV was announced it was a ninety-nine dollar box at one point, now sixty-nine ninety-nine, which will allow you to obviously consume all your audio and video from the Apple ecosystem, but obviously have access to things like HBO Go, Netflix, and countless other applications. It serves it per its purpose. It does its job. People fall into those camps where it's either Roku or you know Apple, Apple TV or something else. I of course was the was the one jackass that decided that I was going to be part of the Google ecosystem which has fallen by the wayside more times than I can count. That's why when they announced Chromecast at that point I told Google to basically go and fuck itself because I was not buying it. I didn't care that it was $35. But the real crazy thing that came out of it was the fact that Apple TV is now stepping into the gaming space the brand new remote obviously is going to allow you to do a whole bunch of stuff but the bigger the bigger the biggest part of that was them stepping into the gaming space and i say this because slick and i have talked about this on countless shows and i've talked about this with some of our other guests but i said that portable gaming is starting to really be it, it the evolution is coming from the mobile the mobile sphere cuz right now mobile gaming when you talk to people it's the 3DS or the PlayStation Vita paperweight or you know whatever the case may be the majority of it is being done on the 3DS and on this and what happens is when you're when you're doing gaming on the 3DS you know what you're getting you know what games you're you're going to be using but the problem is that mobile friendly games have carved out a niche for themselves because they're easy to pick up and play, whether you're waiting for a doctor or you're on the train or you're on the bus. Your phone is always on you, so the necessity to be able to, to pick it up and play is always there. It's always there. The 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 need, the necessity, and just the instant gratification are at your fingertips. That's not to say that people that, that take their 3DS with them or their PlayStation Vita are losing out. It's just that that your your phone is essentially your all-in-one solution. Now, with Apple's new announcement, they're obviously opening the floodgates to allow all the stuff that's currently in the Apple in the iOS ecosystem to work through Apple TV and I think it's great and it's an interesting it, it's ve- it's definitely interesting because the Apple TV hardware while it is pretty strong and it is pretty solid, it's not it's not cutting edge to the point where It's going to compete against an Xbox One or a PlayStation 4. But what it is doing is it's giving you an alternative for somebody that wants to have something easy to pick up and play that they can throw their kids in front of. And the reason I say this is because, as I've said before, it's always about Nintendo. Always. It always goes back to Nintendo. Like I said, Nintendo owns the handheld space. And Nintendo owns the casual gaming space for consoles yes you can pick up an xbox one or a playstation 4 for cutting edge games and all this other stuff but when it comes to mario link everything else you're buying a nintendo product obviously that's that's a no-brainer and with apple stepping in and telling people hey this 149 and forty-nine dollar or 199 hundred and set top box is giving you access to a new assortment of games plus you'll still be able to consume all your content it makes for a very very attractive alternative to picking up a console again that's not me saying that it's a death knell for nintendo i'm just saying that the space like danny said earlier is getting more crowded and because of that people either have to adapt or what's going to happen and i've said this before mobile mobile manufacturers like apple are gonna sneak up and and take a big chunk of the of the revenue because they're grabbing a space with something simple and best of all cheap. If a parent has to choose, hey, I could buy this Apple TV for my living room and play games and my kids could watch their shows, or I can buy a Wii U and maybe I can watch Netflix and a couple of other, you know, streaming services, but the bulk of it is playtime it's going to make for a for a difficult argument. Again, not to not to say that Nintendo's in any sort of trouble because I know 17 different websites put that out there. Oh, Nintendo's got to watch their back now because Apple's launching, you know, stepping into gaming. Nintendo can rest comfortably for the foreseeable future. But you have to be aware of the fact that the space with it getting crowded is going to take market share from Someone And it is clickbait, Danny, I agree. Apple's job, and their succeeding, is to take market share from the person at the bottom of the poll. That's it. We all know that Nintendo, exactly, Amiibo say that Nintendo is okay. I agree, Slick. I agree 100%. But what I'm saying is that Apple, by jumping into gaming, is not going to hurt Sony, It's not even going to hurt Microsoft. But the person who's going to lose something is the casual gamer that has always gravitated toward a Nintendo product. Now, the casual gamer may still support the Nintendo products because of brand loyalty, which is not a which isn't a negative, not a negative at all. But for people that are looking for something to throw in front of their kids with minimal investment that serves more than one purpose Apple has essentially cornered that market. Roku obviously was one of the first companies that started throwing games on their set-top boxes, Amazon as well. But again, it's all about the gift wrap, how you make it pretty, how you make it easily consumable. And while Roku did have gaming on their set-top boxes, they never advertised it. They didn't give a shit. Roku doesn't even advertise People just know who they are because they know, hey, it's cheaper than Apple TV. That's it. Now, for those of us that, you know, are Android users, obviously you got your Chromecast and you got whatever set-top box that, that that's running some sort of version of Android. But again, you're also dealing with people that are a bit more tech-savvy that can do all this shit. Apple TV, you turn it on, you're ready to rock and roll, it writes itself. And this is what I'm saying, you know, Nintendo is is sitting pretty and they'll be sitting pretty for the foreseeable future. But as I said, Apple's announcement wasn't just new phones and iPads and all this shit, but it was letting the competition know, hey, we're jumping into your space and we're going to start small, but get ready because we got a big bankroll that can allow us to make a big dent in your industry. That's what it was. Apple has a big enough bankroll that they can make a they could make a dent in the gaming industry if they really put their money to work. They could acquire a couple of studios. Hell, they 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 could probably acquire one major console developer easily. Not to say that Apple will ever buy Microsoft because that's not going to happen or Sony, but you know, Nintendo is, you know, it's Nintendo if Apple bought Nintendo and I'm and I'm throwing this out there just as a, as an FYI as a, as a uh, as a um as a what if scenario Again listen, listen to me slick before you jump in and contradict immediately Let me ju- let me get my point out there before you jump in If Apple decided to take their money and throw their bankroll at Nintendo Obviously, Nintendo can say, hey, we're not for sale or, you know, we're not interested, whatever the case may be. But eventually, the price tag becomes very, very, very attractive. And again, what if scenario, this isn't clickbait or anything, but what would happen if Apple bought Nintendo? I'm ju- I'm, I, I, I want to know. If Apple bought Nintendo, what would that do to the landscape of gaming as a whole? Slick says Nintendo would fail. Okay. All right, so Nintendo would fail. Next question, why do you think that? Just curious, why? And the reason I say this is because I think Apple would take Nintendo and leverage their properties. So Slick's response is no. Steve Jobs equals no creativity. No, that's it. it that's a that's a relevant relevant argument. But I'll, let me explain. There, it, it, I'm going to give you both both sides. For Nintendo to succeed, if they were acquired by Apple. They would essentially have to start expanding beyond just the gaming space, and what I when I say that I say Pixar, I say leveraging all your properties, as in, you know, Pixar making a, a Super Mario movie, or Pixar doing a Donkey Kong Country movie, or, you know, leveraging a Nintendo OS into iPads and. Uh, mobile devices that'll give you a catalog of games that you can easily consume, Uh, streaming services, integration into the Apple TV, whatever the case is, but that would make Nintendo successful with with the best platform ever. And you know what that is? A fuckload of money. Because at the end of the day, you could throw a lot of money at something and it can still be shitty. But the problem is that Apple has such a loyal fan base such a religious fan base, and I say this with without offense to anyone, that Nintendo would actually thrive in that atmosphere. Again, but to what Slick says, Slick says that you know there's no creativity because Steve Jobs isn't isn't at the helm. Here's the problem: Steve Jobs, who is was an amazing human being. If you've never read uh, the Walter Isaacson book on Steve Jobs, you should. Just to get some insight into this guy um, as someone who, who's trying to build a brand, you know i I, I read stuff about Steve Jobs beza uh, you know Jeff Bezos uh, countless other individuals, and the thing that that separates them from everybody else is the drive to be better and the problem with Apple is that without Steve Jobs as much as you know the as, as much as Apple is running. It is running at a different pace than when Steve Jobs was at the helm and if you take a company like Nintendo and you bring their officers in and you bring their you know you bring the, you know a guy like Reggie into the the picture and you integrate him into the Apple you know the Apple environment with Reggie at the helm working alongside uh, you know Tim Cook at Apple it would it would probably make Nintendo a juggernaut. But to what Slick said, the the Japanese culture that exists within Nintendo would not adapt to the way Apple functions. And that would be would be where it would fall apart. But in terms of creativity, you just need the right set of minds in the room. You know? I I, I just feel that and Slick says it's not that they would not adapt. I feel that they wouldn't because when you look at Japanese companies and the way that they you know they would work with with American companies, it's always a an us versus them scenario and is and I say this because think about it before before Apple started sending iPhones to China, phones were being purchased. Cash in hand, there's actually a documentary about this on on YouTube, and being sent to China by people just buying them, putting, putting three or four or five or six people online, buying five or six phones, cash in hand, and sending them to China. The Chinese audience or, or the Asian audience, by and large, yes, they have a firm belief in their products that they can be better, cheaper, and more efficient. But there are certain products that still, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, that's a product that you want. I mean, when my wife worked at Best Buy, there were, you know, Japanese people that didn't want to buy products that were made by Korean companies. If it said made in Korea, they didn't want to buy it. They would actually ask her, hey, where was this made? And if it said whatever it was, Taiwan, whatever, they wouldn't buy it. And that, you know, that's a different type of bias. But for me personally, I think that if in a what if scenario, Nintendo, Apple acquiring Nintendo would benefit both companies if they allowed themselves to open up a bit more. But if they were if if Apple were to acquire Nintendo and keep the whole wall guard walled garden approach for both brands, it would fail. You know, it would it would fail immediately. It would fail. But I say this again before I move into the other stuff, because I think that Apple stepping into the gaming space is going to force everybody to adapt and think outside of the box. And I say this because even though Apple is "quote unquote" treading water, and I say this again with no, not to offend Mac fanboys, but even though Apple may be treading water, Apple is still successfully kicking ass in every in, in pretty much every space. Still, you can talk about Samsung's announcements and Samsung being number one. Yeah, Samsung will be number one in handset sales for three months. Then Apple will drop the atom bomb known as the iPhone, and then that number means absolutely nothing. You know? Slick says, I want to see this Chinese phone come to America. Huawei. Hold on a second. Slick was asking about Chinese phones coming to America, right? You mean like this one? (laughs) You mean this one from Huawei? This one right here? Yeah. Unboxing and review coming soon. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Anyway, the the thing that gets me is that People look at these companies and they always think that, hey, there's, you know, that it could never happen. Could never happen. Apple did buy fucking Beats, didn't they? Nobody in a million years thought, oh, you know, Apple's going to wake up one day and buy Beats. Not to say that the purchase was right or wrong or whatever the case may be, but Beats got acquired. And Beats was cranking out. Beats was making money left and right due to its acceptance as a "quote unquote" pop culture accessory. Obviously, that has since changed, but I can never say that it may never happen. Could, I mean, Apple's bankroll? Slick, do me a favor. Go, uh, can you pull up how much Apple as a company is worth? I'm curious, and how much and how much cash they have on hand. I want to pose this in in the group just to see what people say. Feel free to throw it in the chat if you find it. But as I said, Apple's announcement, to some, it was smoke and mirrors. To me, it was Apple staking their claim that they're coming into the gaming space, even if it's casually, and people need to be on notice. Well, let me rephrase that. People beneath in, in the second and third, well, let me rephrase that. The third slot need to be on notice. That's all it is. As for the devices themselves, not not my cup of tea. I've, I've long since stepped away from Apple as my phone of choice. But in terms of their iPads, their Apple TVs, um, you know, that technology, I, I like it. I really do. I mean, I had an iPad for quite some time, great to read comics. And then another company stepped up and made comparable and solid Android tablets and I've since moved to that but I I don't hate Apple on the contrary the the next acquisition for for the show is going to be a Mac Pro only only because we're doing so much more with video and I'd love to use final cut and learn that just to obviously give you guys a better show but don't don't take my my ramblings as hey this guy's anti Apple or anti Android or whatever take it as you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging the elephant in the room, and I know that the elephant has big-ass pockets full of money. That's all it is. All right. So Xbox made an announcement earlier today about some of the stuff that you're going to see in the new Xbox One experience. Obviously, a lot of this will be powered by Windows 10, and some of the big things we all know are backwards compatibility, um, over 100 Xbox 360 games, with more to come in the coming months, you're going to get a faster interface. You're going to get full, uh, community optimization. You're obviously the streaming to windows 10, which I tested out, uh, earlier this week. And there, there's definitely a lot of great things on the horizon. If you are an Xbox console owner. Now, the thing that gets me and I want to pose this, maybe, maybe I'll write a post about it, or maybe I'll, I'll ask on the fan page, but, Xbox made it a point to tout all their, their TV functionality. And I just want to know how many people out there have their cable box actually running through their Xbox One at this time. I'm curious. I'd, I'd love to know. Ah, th- Thank you, Slick. Slick actually uh, gave me some numbers. $700 billion. Apple's the world's most valuable brand. You know? Most valuable brand. And I'm, and I'm curious. I really am curious uh, about how many people are integrating Xbox and their cable provider. So I, I, I want to know. Because what happens is, as many of us know, the Xbox has the HDMI in to accept your cable box and then the, the HDMI out that goes to your TV. And a couple of people, when this was first announced, told me that it was just too annoying of a process to do just because they, they didn't want their Xbox to be in control of their their television viewing. Others, they actually run it with an HDMI switch, and they have obviously one HDMI switch directly wired into their television, and then the other HDMI splitter is wired into their Xbox. And some people, they like that because it allows them to still watch TV split screen, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and I think it's cool I tried it for a little bit, eh, you know, it was a take it or leave it for me, but I'm curious. I want to know how many people genuinely have their consoles set up that way, and I may pose it, like I said, in the uh, Facebook group, the RageWorks Facebook group. You can look it up, or, um, you know, maybe on the fan page, but either way, Xbox is definitely putting out some cool stuff. Uh, the dashboard and the new features are going to be available to those of you that are members of the Xbox One preview program which is how I was able to mess around with some of these features thus far. I believe you can still sign up. I'm going to see if I can find a link for it and share it in the show notes. But in any case, um, the thing that gets me is that all these announcements are good. The backwards compatibility is nice. And the only reason I say this is because if the backwards compatibility goes towards games that I purchased on Xbox Live Arcade, and a couple of disc copies, then I may, I may then get rid of my Xbox 360 and just keep my Xbox one. Cause right now I have all my systems plugged in and, um, you know, I will see what happens. Danny told me that I can actually invite people to the Xbox preview program. I'm going to see if that is the case. And, um, if it is maybe, maybe I'll, I'll try and invite a couple of you guys to help me test out some of this stuff. All right, so let's talk about the MPD numbers. And um, the reason I say this is because the MPD numbers were very interesting for the month of August. And it's funny because Slick and Danny were talking about Nintendo and the Amiibos. And uh, here's the thing. Nintendo has sold over 7 million Amiibos in the U.S. And um, that's a pretty big fucking number for little figures that are 10 bucks. Now, the thing that gets me is that the Amiibo figures fall into three camps. People that buy them and use them, people that buy them just to look at them, and people that buy them to resell them. <laughs> That's how it goes your, your Amiibos Your Amiibo camp is split into those three individuals. The people that buy them just because they're very well-designed figures that look really nice and don't ever use them those that actually do, and of course, like I said, resellers. Now, that $7 million figure, I mean $7 million figure, 7 million unit figure is incredibly impressive because on the surface, when you look at it, it's just little, it's no different than a PVC action figure if you were a collector in in the 90s and they'd release PVC figures of some of your favorite heroes or villains and they would sit there collecting dust in comic stores for years but Nintendo found a way to not only make it cool to purchase them but actually integrated their usage into games obviously you know integration of course also with Skylanders which i talked about a couple of weeks back is is just part of that but the thing that gets me is that in addition to their amiibo success Nintendo saw a 30% increase in sales of the 3DS. And Splatoon sold 600,000 units. For a company that's considered the number three company in in, in the gaming industry, those aren't numbers that you can easily sweep under the rug. That's for damn sure. Of course, there are new amiibo figures that are going to be hitting stores today. Um, Of course, one of the ones that everybody's been talking about is Shovel Knight. And Amazon is actually blocking out specific times to sell certain amiibos on their site. So Nintendo clearly knocked it out of the park with the amiibos and with the way that they're being released. And the thing that gets me is that, me personally, you know, like I said a couple of weeks back, I fell into the amiibo reseller camp because fuck it, why not? But I do have to admit that the designs are really well done, the figures look cool. I mean, the 8-bit Mario that they did for Super Mario Maker was tremendous. I was genuinely tempted to buy that just to put it on my desk at work because it was so cool and it just looked, you know, it really just took me back to being a kid and, you know, sitting on my floor in the living room playing the original Mario or playing Duck Hunt with my mom. And it was just very nostalgic to see that. So... Who knows, maybe maybe you guys will see on the shelf behind me an Ape Mario one day. <laughs> Just because it was it was such a cool looking, nostalgic figure. But if you're out there looking for amiibos and you want to pick some up that from the new crop that dropped today, keep an eye on Amazon because they are going to be selling them at specific times throughout the day. And for those of you looking for the Shovel Knight amiibo, I wish you guys the best of luck for two reasons. Obviously, this is the first figure, the first amiibo put out by a company that is not Nintendo. So that's going to definitely make it a very very in-demand figure, the the Shovel Knight figure. Plus, the design is pretty cool as well. So for those of you out there looking for those Amiibos, I wish you guys luck. All right, now, the other numbers with regards to MPD are, of course, the top-selling titles for the month of August. And we know that August belongs to Madden. So we're not going to kid ourselves and say that there was any other number one game. Because Madden was the number one selling game for the month of August. Madden season is fucking real. It is a real thing, folks. As always, no company should expect to be anything less than 2 through 10 in game sales. Because Madden always sells. The PlayStation 4 version was the, was the top-selling version of Madden. It outsold every other platform. Also on that list, Minecraft for Xbox 360, Gears of War Ultimate Edition were your top three games for the month of August. In addition to that, GTA 5 was on the list, uh, LEGO Jurassic World, the Rare Replay, which I almost picked up, because for $29.99 with the uh, Best Buy Gamers Club, it really... It really seemed like a, a promising choice. We'll see if they drop it in price, because I did want to pick it up. Uh, Until Dawn, also on that list, Call of Duty Black Ops Combo Pack, and um, Batman Arkham Knight Big Shocker, and Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. So let me paint this in a, in a, in a very, very crazy picture for you guys. This list, if you look at it, essentially... There are three Call of Duty titles in your top ten most sold titles for the month of August. I say this because, for as much as we shit on Call of Duty, it's still cranking out. It's still cranking out revenue, even now, months and months and months after its release. I, you know, a lot of people are saying that, eh, hey, you know, Call of Duty is going to eventually wear thin, but the same could be said for Madden. The same could be said for Halo they find a hook and they get the money. That's, that's pretty much it. The thing that I want to actually talk about is the fact that GTA five still remains in the top 10, considering that the game is available on PS three, 360, PC, Xbox one PS four. You would have thought that it would have dropped off the list by now, but people are still jumping in and picking the game up brand new, which is insane. So, you know, Xbox one gained a lot of momentum in August. Um, It was the number one selling console for the month, with uh, sales in the U.S. being 26% over last year. Uh, The big movers, of course, for it were the Rare Replay and Gears of War Ultimate Edition. Um, Of course, the other thing which saw a big increase was the purchase of bundles. The bundled system is a big mover for both Nintendo, Xbox, and you know, for PlayStation, obviously. And the thing is, and I talked about this, one of the big gets when we were kids was buying a system and having a game day one. It could have been anything. It could have been Gyromite, which I fucking hated, Super Mario Duck Hunt, the Super Mario All Stars, Mario sixty four, whatever the case may be. You bundle a game in, it makes it more attractive for people especially if people have been on the fence and they were waiting for that particular game to pick up a console, it's it's a no-brainer. I mean, especially with more exclusive bundles, the the Batman Arkham Knight bundle sold a fair amount of PlayStation 4s. It did. I know a lot of people that were trying to pick up the Destiny bundle because they wanted the white system. Uh, The same could be said with the Forza uh, Xbox One bundle, which is a blue Xbox One. That's not to say that if you own a system you're going to run out there and get it, but some people they they're waiting for that stuff. I know a lot of guys personally that sold their PlayStation 4s to buy the Batman one because they thought it was it was amazing. It was they thought it was the shit. They were like, "Oh my god, I need I need this this one." That's what happens. And it's crazy that bundles are increasing, you know, increasingly becoming the standard way to purchase hardware. And you know what? Nintendo were the guys that always kept that front and center. I mean, they dropped the ball for a little bit, but whenever you bought a Nintendo console, you knew you were getting some sort of a game. It didn't necessarily mean it was the best game or a game that you really wanted, but at least you knew that when you turned it on, you were going to be playing something. And it's good to see that companies are are embracing that once again because why not? I mean, if, if you want to purchase an Xbox One and you're waiting for the next Halo, you know they're going to make a Halo bundle. So at that point, you'll probably get a newer system with more storage, and maybe it has a cool Halo color scheme, plus you get the game you want. Slick brought up a good one, the Pikachu Nintendo 64. Man, do I remember that. When that came out, people went fucking bananas. Bananas. Because it was just so crazy looking that, that it had to be purchased. It happens. Like I said, bundles bundles are the norm, and they're not going anywhere. And it's, it's great. I think it's great doing that once again. Because like I said, it, at the end of the day, you want that. You want to not only get the game that you want, but if the system looks cool, then fuck it. You know, that, that's a good way to do it. Last but not least, there were also a lot of digital games that were released. Uh, Lara Croft Go, Galaxy, Shadowrun, Tales from Borderlands. Everybody's gone to Rapture. But the problem is, obviously, MPD does not count those. They, they haven't started uh, tallying the numbers for digital downloads, but August was a pretty busy month for the digital download space as well. Uh, for me... Out of all the games that were on that list, Madden, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie, Madden almost got my money. They almost did. And that was just because of the EA event that Danny and I covered. They almost got me. And and I, and I held, I held strong and I said, nope, not gonna do it. No, 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 I didn't actually. What I ended up buying, I bought Mad Max, which is still in plastic. And I bought Toy Soldiers, which I've been playing on and off. For, uh, for the last couple of days just because who doesn't want to play Toy Soldiers versus G.I. Joe and Cobra? Who doesn't want to do that? Or who doesn't want to have Toy Soldiers square off against the masters of the universe? Sometimes, sometimes you just got to do those guilt purchases, and that's what I did. I purchased uh, Toy Soldiers, and I purchased uh, Mad Max. Well, let me rephrase. I purchased Mad Max the game and Mad Max the Blu-ray because the movie was fucking awesome. And the game was just incredibly violent, and you know me, I love I love all the violent shit, so you may you may see a Mad Max review in the near future, uh, depending on on how quickly I can get through the bulk of the game to throw a review out there. I mean, at this point, the game's been out long enough. who knows? we'll see anyway, with that MPD conversation, we are actually going to wrap up uh, the gaming segment for this week. Uh, As always, feel free to reach out via social media if you have any questions, or if you want to interact in our entertainment segment, head over to mtrlive.com and join the chat there. But with that, let's switch gears and jump into the entertainment news of the week. Let's get to it. first bit of entertainment news that i want to share with you guys i almost aired it during our mma segment just because of the person that is involved i chose to hold it for this episode for two reasons number one because it's fucking ridiculous number two that it is in essence a what the fuck movie news moment (laughs) i actually want to see if i can get that like a like a news clip that's like Alert, alert, what the fuck, movie news or something. I want to see if I can make that up. Maybe maybe within the next week or so you may hear that. In any case, um, Ronda Rousey, who many of you know is the quote-unquote face of women's MMA and has been talked about in everything from Captain Marvel to pro wrestling to fighting Floyd Mayweather, has been tied to a remake of Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse. I kid you not Dalton played by, by Patrick Swayze, of course, in a, in a just super cheesy over the top action flick from 1989, which again, I, I, every time it's on, I watch it just because it's so bad. There's so many bad things about it, but you just can't help but watch it. In any case, Ronda Rousey is being, um, pretty much attached to this project. Um, all signs point to it being a it, it being given a green light. Um, allegedly, Ronda Rousey reached out to Patrick Swayze's widow to get approval for the part, and Patrick Swayze's widow gave her blessing. So Ronda Rousey will be playing the role of Dalton <laughs> in the Roadhouse remake. It's crazy. It's far fetched, but it's such an over the top movie that I I, I I'd want to see it. I'd want to see it. And you know what the worst part is? If I ever thought they would be me remaking Roadhouse, I would think it would be remade by, like, WWE Films. <laughs> that's 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 really it. Like, I said to myself, if anybody could remake Roadhouse, it would be a WWE Studios production. And, you know, somebody, somebody from the roster could play that iconic role. But Ronda Rousey in that role is very, very interesting. We'll see how it fares. We'll see if people genuinely want to even tune into that when it drops. Once I get a release date, of course, I will share it with you guys. All right, so the next bit of news is a little bit more on the industry side, but it really got a lot of a lot of people talking, and it's that Steven Spielberg's DreamWorks production company is leaving Disney and maybe moving to Universal. Now, because of that, the Hollywood Reporter actually says that the reason that DreamWorks is moving towards Universal is because they're interested in doing reboots of both Jaws and Back to the Future. I kid you not. Everybody's been talking about this because we may be seeing a Back to the Future or Jaws reboot in our future, which is, which is insane. It's insane. But... The funny thing is that that wasn't the only news that that involved studio shakeups. It also happened with Marvel Studios. Originally, Marvel Studios and everybody associated with Marvel Studios um, would report to the head of Marvel, which many of you know, uh, Marvel Entertainment CEO Ike Perlmutter. But as it turns out, uh, Kevin Feige and and the rest of the brain, uh, the brain trust from Marvel Studios just it just wouldn't work out the breaking point allegedly occurred during the filming of captain america civil war and it actually forced disney to bring marvel studios under their umbrella now the thing that gets me is the fact that obviously everybody made a big news story out of this but that disney is directly now involved in marvel studios production is is insane only because the marvel side of things had you know a collective of artists and creative talent that would contribute to the creation of these films now putting it solely under the disney umbrella a lot of people are saying it's good a lot of people are saying it's bad i'm going to i'm going to take a wait and see approach only because the it started like i said with captain america civil war so once we'll, once that movie hits theaters if it's good or not We'll see how that impacts the rest of Marvel Studios' work now that they're no longer under the Marvel Entertainment banner. We'll see what the deal is with that. In some other Marvel news, as I said, they put out the teaser trailer for AKA Jessica Jones, now obviously just known as Jessica Jones. I watched it and, I mean, it drops November 20th. I'm going to watch it because obviously it's part of the... Uh, Marvel small screen universe that's being done to establish the street level heroes. And of course, it's going to lead to the Defenders TV series, uh, which will obviously be on Netflix as well, much like Luke Cage and Iron Fist. My only concern with this is that they did a really they did a stellar job with Daredevil and everybody was chomping at the bid for season two, which will be here before you know it. But the problem is that doing a complete series Based on jessica jones character is i don't know how well it'll be received only because you're going to need to have some stellar writing and you're you're going to need to throw in a lot of other characters just to make people tune in i mean they're doing it already with luke cage but you're also going to want to start setting up iron fist as well which is what i'm hearing is going to take place when jessica jones kind of sets up luke cage again I'm going to I'm taking a really really cautious approach with that show like I said only because as a character in the overall Marvel universe Jessica Jones she's she's important but she's not as important as say Luke Cage or Iron Fist for that matter you know two individuals that have had increasing involvement in the overall Marvel universe over the last 10 years Jessica Jones she's been in the in the mix but she hasn't been in the mix to the point where, like I said, she needs an entire series. But again, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach, and we'll see what the deal is with that. The other bit of Marvel movie news I wanted to put out there is that Chris Evans said that if Marvel would like to keep him on board as Captain America, he is definitely committed to doing it. He said, "I was it was so mind-boggling that I was so tentative in the beginning to jump on board. What an ass. I would be if I hadn't done this. I mean, can you imagine kicking myself? I'd never forgive myself. So, you know, I I applaud Chris Evans for you know throwing his hat out there and wanting to stay Captain America for the foreseeable future. I think he does a great job in the role. He's really made the role his own. And honestly, I mean, a lot of these guys, they're not to say that it's guaranteed paydays, but they're having a good time out there. And the stuff they do for charity, you know, Chris Evans going to... The children's hospitals with um, Chris Pratt during the Super Bowl earlier in the year. Just really cool stuff. And I'm glad that more, more actors that have carved out the niche of these iconic roles are really embracing them and wanting to stay on board. It's not like it was years ago where guys would look at superhero movies as a step down or as an insult. But now it's, it's almost the norm. Everybody wants to be a Marvel hero or a DC hero, obviously because it's a guaranteed, it's a guaranteed paycheck, but also because there's the, the production value, the storytelling is just so much better. So props to Chris Evans for throwing his hat back into the Captain America ring. We'll see what happens. I'm curious to see if the Civil War ends with someone new becoming Captain America. If you've read the books... You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to spoil it for anybody if they haven't, but we'll see what happens when that movie hits theaters. All right, so box office time. Obviously, we had the Labor Day weekend. Uh, The War Room randomly came out of nowhere, took the number one slot. Straight out of Compton was number two. A Walk in the Woods was number three. Mission Impossible holding on in the number four slot. The Transporter refueled. Debuted at number five. No Escape was number six. I've heard good things about No Escape. I actually want to check it out, but not in the theater. <laughs> the Man from U.N.C.L.E. was number seven. Another film that I've heard good things about, uh, Un Gallo con Muchos Huevos. <laughs> what a title. Holy shit. That's the real title, guys. A Rooster with a Lot of Eggs is the translation for our non-Spanish-speaking listeners. <laughs> was number eight. Uh, Sinister 2 was number 9, and Inside Out holding on at number 10, bringing its total thus far to $348.2 million. Definitely another winner for the folks at Disney. In some other news, Jurassic World just crossed the $1 billion mark in overseas grosses over the weekend. It is now only the fourth film in history to hit that number, joining Avatar, Avatar, Titanic and Furious 7 as as films that have broke a billion dollars overseas. Fucking crazy. Again, Jurassic World was a fun movie. It was a solid film overall, but a billion dollars overseas just just pretty much guaranteed that we are getting a sequel to that film. Even though everybody said that a sequel was inevitable, this 1 billion dollar overseas haul for this film um overseas haul for this film is going to definitely fast-track a sequel sooner rather than later. (sighs) The next bit of news concerns me for a lot of reasons. As many of you know, Batman and Superman is everything and anything that DC will talk about lately. There's an entire DC Cinematic Universe, but we only can talk about Batman and Superman because it's all anyone wants to hear about. E- even the Suicide Squad chatter has kind of quieted down over the last couple of months, and it's all Batman and Superman. Well, the crazy thing is that El Majimbe over at Heroic Hollywood actually put out a, an interesting rumor that said that Warner Brothers wants more Batman in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Now, according to what he said in his his report, he said that the studio is requesting more Batman footage be added to the film that would lead to to screen to the screen time of Superman being cut. The word is that Affleck's Batman is so impressive that he's outshining Superman in the film. Now, here's the here's the thing that bothers me about this, as I said, when this movie was announced. Henry Cavill is a great actor. He's a he's a he's an, he's a solid actor. But when you put guys like him alongside guys like Ben Affleck, you're going to see the that there's glaring differences, huge glaring obvious differences in the way that they approach acting. It's the same could be said with Marvel because if you look at Marvel, Chris Hemsworth is a good actor. Chris Evans is a good actor. They're all good actors. But whenever they share the screen with Robert Downey Jr., it's it's a whole other ball game. And again, that's not a that's not a dig at any of those other actors in the Avengers, but Robert Downey Jr., he just commands the most screen time because he just he just makes it work. I knew that as soon as this film was announced and the casting was announced that this was going to happen. Now, as always, you know, it's a rumor from, from the guys over at Heroic Hollywood. But I want to address it because I saw it. I saw it a mile away. Ben Affleck is an established actor who, who's, who's solid in, in everything he's, he does, excluding, you know, a, a couple of duds in, on his resume. But everything else, he's he's on a different tier than a guy like Henry Cavill. Again, no disrespect to Henry Cavill. He's a, he's a good actor but you're going to see the flaws when he's sharing the screen with Ben Affleck and everybody's concerned about that I'm more concerned about Gal Gadot sharing screen time with Ben Affleck because while she's a a decent actress again it's it's the same thing it's no different than actors that have that have shared screen time with um you know Al Pacino or Robert De Niro or the late Marlon Brando or the late Robin Williams that they always say in their interviews you know it was a different experience i was just i was i was on the screen with greatness and again i'm not saying i'm not saying that's the case with henry cavill and ben affleck but it's it's a it's another ball game it's totally different so my concern is that superman getting less screen time is going to hurt the character overall that's the bigger thing. There's plenty of time for you to make Batman the centerpiece. You know, you got the solo film. He's popping up in Suicide Squad. There's going to be plenty of time for that. Do not add more Batman and, and diminish Superman's role in this film because at the end of the day, Superman, the Superman film is what got the ball rolling to begin with. That's all I'm saying. It, it, really, it really trips me out if that rumor is true. Obviously, you know, with the success of Nolan's films, uh, the Rocksteady Batman games, there's there's a demand for the Dark Knight on the big screen. But don't sacrifice the narrative that has been established for the sake of cramming more Batman into the movie. Because it may, in the end, do more harm than good. That's all I'm saying. Alright, so Slick is going to absolutely hate this next bit of news. But um, it seems that the next Transformers film may finally bring Unicron to the big screen. Uh, Mark Ryan, who does the voice of Jetfire and Lockdown, was at a convention in the UK and said that the film is going to have two separate plot lines, one of which includes Unicron. Now, according to what he said in the interview, the first of the two story arcs is going to follow Kate Yeager and the Autobots obviously working together with the Dinobots to save the planet. The second part of the film is going to follow Optimus prime into space to find the Quintessens, which obviously for those of you that don't know are considered the creators of the transformers. Now, obviously this is going to open up the film for countless other spin-offs and sequels, which everybody said was going to happen. But obviously the big thing is that we would see Unicron on the big screen. Now, as I've said before, me personally, me personally, I view the Transformers cinematic universe as just its own entity. I've given up trying to compare it to the cartoon, the comics, and any other incarnation that I've watched throughout my life. It's it's just it's just, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's pointless for me personally. So, what I'm curious about is how are you how are you going to make something like Unicron? work on the big screen not to say that it can't be done but it's it's something that i just i'd have to see it to really to really understand how that's going to work because again yes it's cgi and computer generated but unicron's involvement in the transformers universe and slick can attest to this it's it's massive i mean besides the fact that the guys are transforming fucking planet it's the fact that this guy he's 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 behind so many different iconic moments in Transformers mythology, whether you're watching the original movie and the creation of Galvatron and Cyclonus and the swoops, or his involvement in the last Transformers cartoon, and you know, there's always there's always something big when Unicron is mentioned, and the fact that you're gonna take a film and have two separate story arcs and try to squeeze Unicron in there, it concerns me. It concerns me because the necessity to do that may blow up in the studio's face. It's no different than when Marvel, when Sony had to try to force, well, when Marvel tried to force Venom into the Spider-Man movies, and that just blew up in their face in Spider-Man 3. That's that's my big thing. Um, like I said, I'm curious to see it. I'm curious to see how it how it comes together, and how he looks on screen, but to to try and squeeze two narratives in, plus a character of Unicron's magnitude, it concerns me greatly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Danny. Danny says they picked the wrong actor for Venom. That's how they failed. The problem... I, I, you know what, Danny? I, didn't, I was not a fan of Topher Grace's Venom. I make no... I make no qualms about that in any show. My thing was that the Sandman and the Goblin by themselves, you know, New Goblin, by themselves would have been fine. The The necessity to throw Venom in the film, was it, it, it wasn't necessary. Like, you could have done an entire movie with just Spider-Man and Venom. The, uh, you could have done an entire film just on the Venom origin, mythology, and his his conflict with Spider-Man, and that could have been its own movie. You could have left Sandman as the villain in Spider-Man, and it would have worked because Sandman, the, guy, the actor that played Sandman was solid, and it was no different than Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2 because Alfred Molina knocked it out of the park in Spider-Man 2 with Dr. Octopus, and people thought that when Dr. Octopus was used, in Spider-Man 2, he was going to be a shitty character just because he wasn't that great in a lot of the comics. And obviously, they did the, They did their homework, and they did such a stellar job that even I, w- I was like, "Wow, that's Doctor Octopus isn't a complete fucking toolbox in this movie. This is great. I could have, I could have, I could have endured Spider-Man 3 without Venom because we wouldn't have got emo Peter Parker." And we would have just had the Sandman, who actually was a really cool character. I would have definitely taken the Sandman as the, the major villain and maybe used somebody secondary like Mysterio. I wouldn't have even used the new goblin. I would have taken a lesser Spider-Man villain and thrown him in there. Obviously, we know that turning um, James Franco into the goblin was a no-brainer, but it wasn't something that was mandatory either. It really wasn't. And Slick, I agree with you 100%. The fight between Spider-Man and Sandman was probably one of the high points of the film by and large. All right, so last bit of movie news to wrap things up is a rumor regarding some Captain Marvel casting that everyone's been talking about. Obviously, there have been casting rumors galore, Emily Blunt, people asking for Ronda Rousey, et cetera, et cetera. Um... A new, a new participant has entered the fray, and that is Rebecca Ferguson. Now, if you've watched uh, the recent Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, you will recognize Rebecca Ferguson as she was the British agent in the film. Uh, she's She was solid in that film, a pretty good actress, but she appears to be the newest name associated with the role of Captain Marvel. Now, originally there was a rumor floating around that she was going to play the female lead in Gambit. That has since... Uh, fallen by the wayside and she's actually going to be in a in a film called the girl on a train with emily blunt but there's a strong rumor floating around that marvel is giving some thought to possibly offering her the role again take it as a take it as a grain of salt as a rumor but i'm curious i'm curious to see if they go that route again rebecca ferguson much like emily blunt smaller actress doesn't have a commanding physical presence but again maybe maybe hollywood you know maybe marvel and hollywood just want to go that route and create something more realistic captain marvel is you know one of the, one of the most definitely top 10 depending on on what book you read one of the top 10 powerful heroes in the marvel universe again depending on what book what story Whatever the case may be, Captain Marvel definitely up there. And again, you need a woman with a commanding presence. How so, Slick? Captain Marvel definitely is up there when it comes to power levels in the Marvel Universe. You're crazy to say that she doesn't. And again, it's it's opinion. It's opinion. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. Again, considered... Is an opinion, not fact. If you perchance can find who the top ten Marvel Universe the, the top ten most powerful people in the Marvel universe are, please by all means share them. I'm I definitely would I definitely would like to know. But me personally, I felt that excluding the century, they've always billed Captain Marvel as, you know, a pretty badass, strong, cosmic character. Again, build, disgust, and addressed in that category. Not fact, before anybody else gets their panties in a twist. Now, with that said, you still need someone that commands a presence. Even in the books when she's alongside the other heroes, the way she's drawn, the way she's written, commands a presence. And again, Rebecca Ferguson, solid actress. Emily Blunt, solid actress. But again, you need presence on screen. Robert Downey Jr. works as Tony Stark because presence, the way he brings the character to life, works. Chris Hemsworth, the way he brings Thor to life, works. There's a presence there. The look, the the, the way he looks on screen, it brings the character together. goes back to what Danny said about Topher Grace as Venom. Wrong actor. Wrong actor for the job. Even when you look at, 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 at Tom Hardy as Bane, In in, in the Batman films, a good actor that made the role work. Was he the best? Was he the worst? Everybody can debate that. But in terms of how he brought the character to life, he did a good job. He did as good of a job as any for a guy who's under a mask or behind a mask for the bulk of a film. Same same applies to. and, And this one, of course, is is crazy. Obviously, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger took the Joker, and he took him into a into a level, into a direction that was just, it was different, it was unique, and he made it his own. But again, he, had, he gave the Joker that presence that when you saw the Joker on screen, you're like, wow, this guy's out of his fucking mind. Two-Face, eh, Aaron Eckhart did a decent job, but I feel that Two-Face didn't get enough screen time to be effective. It worked, but... I I kind of felt 2 Face was always the rushed part of that film. Nonetheless, the Rebecca Ferguson casting rumor is exactly that a rumor, but still not still not convinced that she would be the right actress for the role, but again, I was I was concerned when they cast Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man and he 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 did a pretty solid job. So, we shall see what happens. Nonetheless, Once I get more news, I will definitely share it with you guys because I will be watching this rumor with a lot of interest. All right, so that's going to wrap up the entertainment segment of the show, and that's going to wrap up the show as well. So I've given you guys my take on gaming and entertainment. By all means, I would love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out via social media. You can find us on Twitter at MyTakeRadio at Rage underscore Works. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash RageWorks to join our Facebook fan page. And, of course, you can look for the RageWorks group on Facebook as well. Interact with other listeners and readers about everything, movies, entertainment, wrestling. Even sometimes real-world stuff kind of pops up as well. Feel free to join the group and interact with us. Ah, slick, Slick with the Clutch. According to Stan Lee... Again, (laughs) Stan Lee And, and Slick says, and even that list is wrong before we close it out. Slick says, according to Stan Lee, the most powerful entities in the Marvel Universe are the one above all, a.k.a. God, Eternity, Death, Phoenix, the Living Tribunal, Galactus, the Celestials, Thanos, the Hulk and Odin. That's that's according to Stan Lee. Again, you know, there's always there's always lists out there. That's why when I said what I said about Captain Marvel, I said you know, considered depending on who's writing the books, what version of the Marvel Universe we're talking about, a a a a ton of a uh, yeah. Number eleven is Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> nice very nice props to lucha lee for that that's a that's a good way to close things out anyway (laughs) yeah number 11 would be squirrel girl because she did whoop thanos's ass all right all right i'm not i'm not gonna beat this up you guys can debate that amongst you you know what slick do me a favor put that question in the group who do who do people consider the five most powerful just five five most powerful heroes and or villains in the Marvel Universe. I'm curious to see what people say. Do me that favor. I'll pin that up there along... Well, I think I can only pin one, so I'm going to pin that uh, PlayStation question. Anyway, with that said, let's let's wrap it up for real this time, shall we? Get the hell out of here. (laughs) All right, let's go. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 313, which broadcasted live Thursday... September 10th, 2015. As I said before, you can find us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, or at Rage underscore works. You can also find us on Facebook. Just look for RageWorks there. And if you want to join the group, look for the RageWorks group. Archived episodes of the show can be found via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Video archives can be found on our two YouTube channels, official... Rageworks, and My Take Radio TV. But as always, the best way to experience My Take Radio is via the My Take Radio app. You can have MTR on the go at all times. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, mobile wallpapers, plus you get access to any of our exclusive audio content before the general public, including MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, The Minority Film Report, and countless other shows as well. With that said, I will be back next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, for the MMA and wrestling edition of My Take Radio. Until then, on behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the My Take Radio and RageWorks team, I am out of here. Peace. that